you ready for God's word? Are you really? Now, you know, I can always gauge your readiness by your enthusiasm because enthusiasm means expectation, means preparedness. Now, that's not all you need. Sometimes you need, uh, you need more than just enthusiasm to succeed, but it starts there. After all, we're talking about attitude. I want to ask you a question. What attitude did you bring into this Sunday service? What attitude did you bring with you? The truth is we bring an attitude everywhere we go, into every circumstance, into every situation. We said last week that attitude is the number one determining factor of success. Now there's been a lot of research, there's been a lot of, uh, of things said and books written about attitude. It's more important than education alone, it's more important than skills or talent or uh, ability, attitude. I think anyone will tell you that there are some talented, skillful, uh, capable people in this world that have not succeeded, and it's because of their attitude. The truth is, it's not always the most talented that succeeds. It's not always the most gifted. It's not always the most skilled, but it's the person who can get their mind right and get them going with what God has given them in the right direction. And that's what we're talking about here today. As a matter of fact, we talked about 10 10 practices, 10 things that we can implement to have a great attitude. It was a very practical message. And I want you to remember from last week's message that, that having a great attitude is like anything else in life. It can be practiced and it can be learned. It can be perfected. That means you can work on it. I think so many times we think in terms of, I can work on my jump shot. I can work on my uh, uh, putting skills. I can work on uh, my computer skills. I can work on all these other skills, but we don't think in terms of our emotional, spiritual attitude. You can work on that. You can make a decision to say, I'm going to improve my attitude. I'm going to improve my mental uh, outlook my mindset. I'm going to take responsibility for it. And so this is really important. Go ahead and write that down. Go ahead and make a determination even now before the end of the sermon and say, you know what? I'm going to look over my attitude, take inventory, be aware, and and be determined to improve upon it. As it pertains to my attitude towards my wife, can I get an amen, ladies? As it pertains to... uh, to my attitude towards my husband. Can I get an amen, guys? Some of my guys are like, oh no, (laughs) you're not getting any help from me there. As it pertains to my attitude toward the Lord, toward the things of God. You know, it's interesting because the Apostle Paul, now we're gonna talk, this message, last week was very practical. This message is gonna be more spiritual in terms of, you know, last week you're like, okay, it's all these basic things that I can do to have a better outlook to, and, and why I should have a better outlook. But now I'm going to talk to you about the ultimate example of a great attitude and who we should be looking towards. And it's been said that, that Jesus Christ is the reflection of what the soul should be like. So we're going to look at that reflection and we're going to measure ourselves to Christ. You say, well, why didn't you start off with that? The reason I didn't start off with that is because many times I get the sense in talking to Christians today 
that they have this attitude towards Christ. Like, yeah, Christ is the man. He's awesome. He's wonderful. He's my savior, but he's completely other. Meaning I can't relate to how perfect he is because I'll never be that. Or God is so much, I mean, he's so far beyond me that, you know, I need a real life example. Can I tell you that's why he came? To be a real life example? And I think it's because we have this attitude today in Christian circles that we're just supposed to be perfect with no work. But it's all about grace, isn't it? Then it has nothing to do with work. Baloney. Listen to what Paul said. He didn't say work for your salvation, but now that you have your salvation, work it out with what? Fear and trembling. See, we want everything to be easy. We live in a microwave society, but can I tell you, holiness and being like Christ is not easy. You go, well, that's why I've given up. No, don't give up. It's a life pursuit. It's something you strive for day after day, year after year, week after week, month after month, decade after decade. I will be more like my Savior when he calls me home. I'm not good with staying where I was. I want to be who I'm called to be. That's what Christianity is about. If you read the, the epistles of Paul, he doesn't say, well, it's by grace and I'm as good as I'll ever be. And, you know, it's too hard to be like Jesus. I'm just not going to try. This is who I am. I mean, how many Christians say that? This is who I am. I guess when I get to heaven, then I'll be better. No, Paul says what? I buffet myself, I work, I strive, I press, I run, I train. Those are words of real effort. I want to be more like Christ. And even when he says the things, even when I try my best, the things I want to do, I can't, but I'm going to keep going. So I, I just want to spark some passion in you today to say, you know what? It's not good for me to just relax and be okay with a sorry attitude. No, I want to be like Christ. I want to be like my king of glory. And this is what Paul starts off his letter to the Philippian church with. He says, in the first part of Philippians, he says, he who began the good work is faithful to complete it. He's going to work it out in you. He keeps reminding the Philippian church, you are not of this world. You are sojourners. You are what? You are pilgrims. You are aliens in a foreign land. You are, this is not your kingdom. You serve a kingdom that's a heavenly kingdom and a heavenly king. And so he says this in Philippians 1.27. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The reason he's saying this is because he's writing this from a jail cell in Rome. And what he's saying, I'm in jail, I'm in prison here, at, here in Rome. And, I, and you have to understand something about the ancient world. The prisons were not like they are today. They were hard, cold, miserable places that would kill you. They weren't designed to have you live forever there. 
They were designed to put you there, to make you miserable, to make life so hard that you would die of sickness or, or, or some disease and, and, and they could be, be done with you. So what he's literally saying to them, I don't know if I'm going to make it out. I don't know if I ever see you again. I don't know what my future holds, but I know who holds my future and he holds your future and you need to live for him and be worthy of the high price he paid for you. Live a life worthy of the high price he paid for you. That's what he's telling the Corinthian, I mean the Philippian church. And, and, and I want you to understand because, because just a few verses later, he tells us what that high, that high call is. How to live this high life. Watch this. He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. See, that's where I usually give up. Right there, pastor. Because having the mind of Christ is tough stuff. Oh yeah, it is. It'll change the way you pray. It'll change the way you live. It'll cha- it reminds me of what Christ said. He says, if any man care to be my disciple, he must what? If any man care to be my disciple, he must what? He must die to himself. He must learn. Matthew 16, 24. He must learn to pick up his cross daily. That means Get on that electric chair and die to yourself daily. That's what the cross meant. The cross was a place you get executed. And so this is what's happening. You know, I can remember dying to myself when I became a Christian at the age of nine. Anyone remember that? You remember that overwhelming sense that I need a savior and I couldn't stop crying and, and the children's church director was presenting the message and I just, and he asked us to stand up and I said, don't stand up, don't stand up. And I just stood up. And then he said, raise your hand. And he raised my hand. And then he said, come to the front. I'm like, don't go to the front. Don't go to that. I went to the front. And there's just, I mean, just something was going on. And I knew that God was taking over. Have you ever felt that? Do you remember that day when things began to change? And I thought, you know what? I died to myself. But then around 16, I realized I had to die again to myself. I was at a youth camp and I had taken over some things in my life and it was, it was getting out of control and I died to myself at that youth camp and I gave myself to the Lord again. And then at around 20-something, I died to myself again. And then when Melissa and I were about to have this beautiful little girl 23 years ago, I, I thought to myself, Lord, I gotta, be, I, gotta, I gotta be a better person. I wanna be a great dad. I wanna give her something special And so I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to let you take over because I know that you can do infinitely better than I can. And I can remember dying to myself and I can remember, you know, marriage getting tough and dying to myself again. And then I can remember saying, you know what, I think I need to do this at least once a week. (laughs) And so I started dying to myself once a week. And can anyone relate? And then, you know, I would do it like on a Friday or something, but then I realized by Monday I needed to do it again. And so then I started doing twice a week. And then I said, let's just do it every day. So in the morning, I'd start dying to myself. But by noon, I mean, Melissa had already gotten on my nerves. And I was upset, you know. And and so Melissa's looking at me like, she's a perfect wife. I'm the one that needs to die, remember? And so I died to myself by the, and so I do it when I got up and when I went to bed. But then, does anybody see what I'm saying here? 
I started realizing that I need to die to myself three times a day. And then, and then in between lunch and, and, and breakfast and lunch and dinner. So now I'm doing like, like snacks, right? Die to yourself when you take your, your snack during the day uh, and your coffee break and die to yourself. But, but, but then I realized that, that, that what God is really saying, I don't need to live anymore. That means in every situation, in every circumstance, in every single beating, waking moment, I need to put you first. But God, that's tough. And it'll impact the way you live. It'll impact the way you pray. And I start realizing, Lord, I don't even pray with an attitude of dying to myself. I pray so selfishly. Anyone else pray selfishly? Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to bring God like a, uh, a proposal like you would to a, to a, to a, a company board, you know? or a company president, and I'm like, look, Lord, I've got charts, and I've got statistics, and i got all this stuff on why you should get with the program. Lord, all I need is a little juice. That's all I need. Just give me a little blessing. You just put a little drop on this thing, and it'll blow up, and we'll, we'll reach Bastrop. I know that's what you want, so hook a brother up. And, and, and it's so selfish. It kind of reminds me of little Johnny who... Who, who had heard they were having an old time, uh, like an old time uh, a prayer revival where they were going to have a week of prayer, come pray at the church. And, and, and really, if you're struggling with something, you really want something to break loose in your life, you really want God to bless you, come and pray. And so little Johnny says, Mom, I'm going to the church. I want to learn how to pray. And so he shows up and he's listening and hears this high church prayer. This man stands up. Oh, sovereign and mighty God. And so, so he, he takes some notes and he comes home and he says, Oh, sovereign and mighty God, creator of all and giver of all. I ask you, oh Lord, in your infinite goodwill that you would bestow upon your humble servant, Johnny, a blue bike. God... You do it according to your unfailing plan. But I would like it by tomorrow morning at 7 o'clock. With undying love, amen. Gets up at 7 o'clock, no bike. Now he's really distraught. I missed something. He goes back to the prayer meeting the next day and he sits there and he listens to somebody else pray a different kind of prayer. In this prayer, he says, Oh, Jesus, my best friend, I claim it and I name it, Lord, because faith is standing and believing. And I thank you ahead of time for the bike that you are going to give me tomorrow at seven o'clock. God, I thank you. I can see myself and I feel the wind as I drive it. It's blue and silver and fast. God, tomorrow. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It is done in the name of Jesus. He gets up. No bike. Now he's really getting desperate. Keith, he goes back to the prayer meeting. He's looking around. He doesn't like any of the prayers he's hearing. He goes out into the foyer, and when nobody's watching, there's a little, uh, there's a little display of a manger scene. He grabs Mary, tucks it in his jacket, goes home, and while his mom is peeking in on him, she hears him writing, Dear Jesus, I got your mother. If you ever want to... <laughs> You ever want to see her again? I need a bike by tomorrow morning. 
You go, oh, that's so funny. That's so silly. We would never do that. Oh, Lord, how about this? God, you ever want to see me in church again? You better get with the program. You want me to treat my wife right? You need to get with the program. Lord, you want me to raise good kids for you? You need to get with the program. Lord, if you want me to give my tithe, then you need to get with the program. Lord, oh, we do it in different ways, don't we? But, but this is interesting because the Apostle Paul says, live up to the high call. How do you do that? He tells you in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22 through 24, he says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Paul's saying, I've taught you churches to give away and put off those things that are not healthy for you. That's the old you. That's the old way of thinking. That's the way the enemy used to have you going. And you need to get with the new thing. This is what I said. Behold, everything that is in Christ is a new creation. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gold, uh, has gone. Behold, the new has come. And Paul is saying this. He's saying it, become, it, it has to be a renewing of the attitude of your mind. He says the same thing to the Romans. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Do not go with the world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of the attitude of your mind. He says the same thing to the Philippians. He says the same thing to the Galatians. He says, could it be because that's how you live the Christian life? You have to get your mind in the program and say, you know what? I'm not going to just listen to what the enemy says. The enemy's going to tell you, you are not new. You're still the same old you. You still struggle with the same old thing. You call yourself a Christian? Say, behold, it's not my strength, but it's your strength that works in me to do good. So God, I claim your word and I constantly, you have to feed on God's word. This is so important, but, but watch this. I'm going to read it out of the New Living Translation. I think this really connects. Throw off your old sinful nature and put on, uh, excuse me, here we go. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. How daily, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy, how do you do it? You do it by learning from the Father. Watching the Father. Do you know, it's interesting because I've seen this with my children. The younger they are, the more they absorb. I can remember when they were little, I mean, they would just look at you and start to act like you and start to, I can remember my son tried to walk like me and stand like me and talk like me. And I can remember when he came up here and preached, I was so amazed how he kind of resembled me. I'm like, I'm watching a mini me. <laughs> it was, it was, it was kind of funny, but, but also how many times have you ever heard your kids say that one word that mom goes, where did you hear that? And you're saying, please don't let it be me. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, because they'll pick that one time that you messed up and slipped up and said that word and they'll remember it and then come out that perfect time like and say it right in front of mom. 
You know, I can remember driving down the road and Evelyn, we were driving down the road and we passed, we were like, we got to get on the other side of this guy. He's carrying a huge mattress with a little bitty rope on the top of his car. You know what I'm talking about, Bastrop. And, and, and that, that, that mattress is flapping in the wind and he got two people holding it like this. And I'm going, that ain't going to work. Let me get around this guy. And as I'm passing him and I look over, Evelyn's in the backseat and she looks over and she says, oh, wow, look, there goes the bed bugs. Bad word. Not so bad, but too colorful to say here. And I said, excuse me? She goes, yeah, there goes the bed bugs. She's like four. Maybe three, who knows? She's a little bitty. And mom goes, Evelyn, what did you say? Now she's a little bit more, because she's learning. What, what did she learn? Their reaction's not exactly what I thought it would be. She says, there goes the bed bugs again. See, Evelyn's the little girl that when, never mind. That's another story for another day. But I will tell you this. We asked, where did you learn that? She said, Grandpa. (laughs) So we did a little bit more investigating. Grandpa didn't say it. He had her watching Storage Wars with him. And the old man, Barry, I guess is his name, on Storage Wars, said it, she recorded it, and came out with it. If only we would do the same with God. If only we would listen to what Paul says. Listen to what Paul says here to the Ephesians in chapter 5. Not only do you put off the old, put on the new, renew the attitude of your mind, but you do it by imitating, watch this, chapter 5. Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children. If only we could be those little children who are soaking up all the good stuff that God is showing us. Do you realize that that's why young Christians grow the fastest? Because they are like little children. What happens is once we get older, we start making excuses. Well, you're not really going to be like Jesus. A brand new Christian believes he can be like Jesus. An older Christian says, well, you see, theologically speaking, and then we make it complicated. And God says, if you could be like a child, you'll see the kingdom of heaven. So, so what is he talking about? Well, I think he put it best in the book of John, chapter 6, verse 38. Read with me. This talks about the goal of Christ. His goal was not to do his own will, But watch, he came down from heaven to do the will of the Father who sent me. Not to do my own. That's what the mind of Christ is, is Lord, what is your will? I die to myself, I let go of what's, and I start imitating because I'm new at this and I need to learn how to live for you. And one of the things that jumps off the pages of the New Testament is that Jesus Christ never did what he was expected to do. I want you to think about this with me. In the midst of trials, he was patient. That's so different from me. In the midst of trials, I want to do something. You know what else I find different? In the midst of suffering, he was hopeful. 
In the midst of blessings, he was humble. In the midst of ridicule, abuse, and hostility, he made no threats. This is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He knew how to trust his father. You want the mind of Christ? Come on, guys. We got to trust God. That's what we're talking about here today. Having the mind of Christ. Let this mind that was in Christ be in you. So we started on chapter, I mean, in verse five of chapter two, let this mind that was in Christ be in you. Now let's go to verse four. So what we're doing is we're actually working from the end in mind backwards Keeping the end in mind. What's the end? To have the mind of Christ. Now, what does the mind of Christ look like? Paul tells us. He outlines three things that we should have. Watch this. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. What does that mean? It means don't be human. (laughs) Don't be the regular old run-of-the-mill human being that only looks out for me, myself, and I. Instead, understand what Christ's example was. He left heaven to look after you, to look after me, to look after us. Look, in, in the New King James Version, it says this, let each of you look out not only for his own interest, and in the Greek, it doesn't say interest, it just says own. But the reason we put interest, because what it really means is don't just look after your own what? House. Don't just look after your own desires. Don't just look after your own finances. Don't just look after your own job. Don't just look after your own whatever it is, interests, whatever you determine to be important, but instead look after others. This is the beauty of what Jesus was saying here. Let's say there's 300 of us here today. If you're looking after you, how many people do you have looking after you? But if we're all looking after each other, how many people do you have looking after you? Yeah, but that's hard to do because not everybody's going to do it. But that's what we're working towards, church. We're working to show the world a better way. A better way to live. What he means is serve each other. Learn to serve. You know, I, I, I encountered a businessman at our church, and he would always say, you know what, I, I want to I do something for the church. I want to do something for the church, but I'm just too busy, and my finances aren't quite there. My business hasn't turned the corner. And year after year, it just would not turn the corner, and he wanted to do something, but he never could. He says, if I ever get to that point where I have a little extra, where I have a little bit of reserves, then I'll begin to bless. Can I tell you something? Let me ask you something. Is he ever going to get there? He's doing it in reverse, right? He's saying, uh, first, I'll get it, then I'll put you first, Lord. First, I'll put me first, then I'll put you first. No, 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 it, it doesn't work that way. The way it works is the businessman, the businesswoman, the family, the individual that says, God I want to put you first because that's what Christ did for me. God will say, now I'll bless you. You say, show me biblically, okay? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, the Bible says, 
Seek me first and I'll hook you up. That's not what it says, Pastor. Okay, then let's be technical. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things shall be added to you as well. That's what Jesus says. And so it's about serving each other. Go in that extra mile for one another. Now let's go to verse 3. Because you have the mind of Christ... What is the mind of Christ like? Verse 4 says, serve each other. That's the key. But how do you serve? Okay, let's unpack it further. Verse 3 says, do not be selfish. Or don't be selfish. Don't do anything through selfish ambition or conceit. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. That means put others in interests above your own. Think of others. This is hard to do, but it's an attitude you can get good at. How do you get good at it? You practice service. Guys, if you want to go deeper in your relationship and more intimacy with Christ than you've ever experienced before, trust me, get involved in this church and begin to serve somebody else. Begin to sacrifice. Stop saying you don't have the time or you don't have the energy or you don't have the money or you just don't all that is is saying, well, guess what? I'd rather put my vacation or the fact that I'd want to be able to miss or switch services or do whatever in my own. Come on now. That's why people don't get involved because they're like, well, you, you know, you know, I would. Let me pray about it. Isn't that what they do? Let me pray. Brother, I'll get back to you. Let me pray about it. A year later, man, I'm still praying. I hadn't really heard from the Lord. You know, I would, but right now, you see, I come from another church. They really did take it out of me. And <laughs> No, no, listen, guys. When you serve the Lord, he will replenish you. That doesn't mean you don't have to get away and, and have some free time. But listen, serving the Lord is exciting. It's new. It's fresh. It's beautiful. It is reviving. It's, it's riveting. It will just fill your heart. Amen, Eric? Amen. If you want to get closer than you've ever been in your walk with Christ, begin to serve. How do you serve? Be selfless. How are you selfless? You got to be humble. You know, in this world, we're just, everybody wants to feel like they have the great life. That's why I, I don't really like Facebook because people put stuff on Facebook and, and it, it's all fake. <laughs> Not all of it, but a lot of it is. You know, and they try to put this great life. And it's interesting because as a pastor, you know, I've had several times where couples come and they're asking for marriage counseling. And so we're counseling them and they're having some really tough challenges. But on Facebook, they're trying to make it look like they're the happiest couple around. And people are asking them for marriage advice. And I'm going, what are we doing? Stop it. Stop doing that. But, but, but this, is, this is an interesting little, little story I heard that, you know, this business, these businessmen were getting together and they were doing a conference and they were looking for a speaker. And so they said, man, this speaker, he's done all these great things. And so they announced him and he, they said, this man who's going to speak next, he, has, he made a million dollars. No, $10 million in Wall Street in one day. And 
this transaction and this business deal. And he's going to come and tell us about it. And everybody stood up and clapped before he said a word. They were standing up clapping. He comes to the podium. He says, no, 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 sit down, sit down. He says, I just have a few corrections. First of all, it wasn't $10 million. It was 20. They go, whoa. It wasn't dollars. It was pounds. It wasn't in New York. It was in London. It wasn't me. It was my brother. And it wasn't made, it was lost. <laughs> you know, it's interesting how we always try to impress one another, even if it's not true. God is saying the truth is none of us are that impressive. He's the one that's impressive. And the closer we get to him, the more we realize how awesome life really is. So how do you do it? How do you have the mind of Christ? Serve one another. How do you serve one another? Be humble. Be selfless. Put each other first. Do these things. Even Paul says, I am a debtor. I am a debtor to the cause of Christ. The further he got along in his walk with Christ, he started off by saying, I am the least of the apostles. I need you to stick with me on this. He said, I am the least of the apostles. Later on in his walk, he said, I am the what? The least of all Christians. Then he went on to say, I am the least of all sinners. What he was doing is he was getting lower and more humble and realized that it was all about Christ. And that what John the Baptist said, I must decrease, that he must increase. And, and Paul finishes the chapter, and this is where I'll finish, with four examples. His first example in this chapter two is found there where we've been reading, verse five, we went from five backwards, now we're going from five down. Verse five says this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself, what? Of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeliness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, even to the point of death on a cross. What is he saying? He's saying if God could come and give everything up to love people like us. I mean, and you go, what do you mean people like us? Selfish, conceited, egotistical, very limited, and, 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 and let's just be ignorant people. Compared to him. He's everything. He's all of all of heaven, he leaves it for us. And what Paul is saying, if your king can do that, then that should inspire you to do the same. It kind of reminds me of when we were in baseball and we needed a rally. People start putting the rally caps on and that first guy would go up and get a base hit when no one had hit this pitcher before. The next guy goes up and what does he want to do? He wants to hit it too. And that's what Paul is saying. If Christ came and showed you a better way and he laid it out there even to the point of dying for you and he rose again and he conquered and he turned this world upside down and inside out, then surely you can do the same. You should get fired up and say, Lord, I'm following you. I'm coming after you. I'm going to do like you did. God, inspire me and fill me. In. That's what you should do. And in case Christ isn't enough for you, then use my example. He says, I'm pouring myself out. And boy, did Paul pour himself out. Then he goes on to say, if not Christ, if not me, then how about Timothy, who I'm pouring into? 
Listen to what he says about Timothy in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have uh, no one like him. In one version, it says no one like him. In this version, it says no one like-minded. Like-minded how? No one that's following this example like Timmy. Man, what accommodation. But I need you to understand something. There should have been more. There should have been more. Hey, let it never be said that at foundation, there's only one guy following Christ like Tim. Let it be no, we have many. So I'm going to have our worship team come up and I'm going to ask my wife to get ready to, to lead us in an invitation during our prayer time. But this is how I want to end. The last example was of a man called Epaphroditus. And he finishes, thank you, Pat. He finishes, he finishes the charge of like-mindedness with Epaphroditus. And this is what he said. Epaphroditus got sick when you sent him to serve me. So I'm sending him back because he's brokenhearted that you might be worried about him or that you might not know exactly what happened and have a slight concern because you may have heard it around the way that he wasn't well. Now this is amazing to me because it's not the sick guy saying, well, nobody came to visit me and nobody, came, nobody cared. That's what we see today. Pastor didn't show up, so-and-so didn't show up. I didn't even know you were gone. You've been gone all year. No, no, Epaphroditus is saying, man, I got to get myself together because my brothers might be worried that I might be sick. That's an awesome thought. Why is Paul saying this? Paul is saying that's Christ's likeness. It's not about you. It's about your family. There's some Christ-like people in this church. There are many. But to be Christ-like, you don't get comfortable. You keep striving. You keep giving God the glory and you keep saying, Lord, work in me and through me to your good pleasure that I may live for your glory that I may pour myself out and leave nothing in the tank, no reserves, no regrets. It's all for your glory, God. So, Melissa. I'm going to invite our prayer partners up at this time, and I'm going to ask everyone to stand. As we close out today's message, I just want us to, just to take a moment to bow our heads and, to thank the Lord for what he's done. Lord, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for just fresh revelation, Lord, of, of what you're calling us to be, Lord, to become more and more like you, Lord. We give you our hearts. We give you our, our, our heart of service, Lord. Lord, we ask that, Lord, we would become more humble, more selfless, Lord, as we engage, Lord, in just blessing others, Lord. Help us Jesus, as pastor, was sharing your truth, Lord, to not only look at what is happening in our own lives, God, but to look out for what is happening with others around us, Lord. 
But I thank you because we have a room full of people right now who who are for you, God, who who love you. But Father, help us love one another as much as you have shown us your love, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Listen, if God has spoken to you today and you have felt his spirit just sharing something with you, Maybe God wants you to encourage someone this week. Maybe he wants you to get involved in an area of service. Won't you come forward? This time is for you and him. We want to encourage men to pray with men and women to pray with women.